Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, and I'm Diane Hartshorn. We want to start off by saying Happy Hanukkah. The day this episode airs will be the first day of Hanukkah, and we thought it would be fitting to feature the story of Hanukkah and a Jewish cemetery here in America. Today, we will learn more about Chatham Square Jewish Cemetery in New York City, which is the final resting place of several American revolutionary patriots. We chose this ordinary, extraordinary cemetery because the story of Hanukkah and the story of the American Revolution parallel each other in many ways, and we feel it is important to share the story of the Jewish patriots who helped America gain its independence. As I was doing the research for this episode, I felt a little cheated that this part of the story is left out of many traditional history books. But without the contributions of the Jewish community in the New World, we may never have succeeded in becoming a free nation. The Chatham Square Jewish Cemetery is located in Chinatown, New York. It is the second oldest burying ground in Manhattan and the oldest being the more well-known Trinity Churchyard in I can just geek out here just for a moment. <laughs> Trinity Churchyard was was in a scene in National Treasure, and I was more concerned with them shooting the headstones, even though I know it was a movie, <laughs> than them actually shooting Nicolas Cage. But anyway, I digress. Oh, poor Nick Cage. <laughs> yes. The land was purchased in 1682, and the first burial took place in 1683. According to Congregation Sheriff Israel, America's first Jewish congregation's website. At the time of the American Revolution, the cemetery was in a strategic location on a hill overlooking the East River. Writing in March of 1776, Major General Charles Lee wrote to the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, George Washington, the following, the command of the South must be ours, the East River. I am persuaded may be secured in such a manner that the British ships will scarcely venture into it. A battery for this purpose is planned at the foot of the Jews' burying ground. To protect this battery from the near approach of ships, guns in barbet placed on the heights of the Jews' burying ground in correspondence with the battery on an opposite commanding knoll in Long Island will certainly be sufficient. When the British took control of New York City in 1776, they too found the location of the cemetery to be a strategic point from which to fight. There are also claims that some of the British there are also claims that some of the British soldiers removed some of the metal plaques from grave sites in order to melt them down and use as ammunition. The last recorded burial in Chatham took place in 1833. According to the New York City Cemetery Project, Development encroached upon the cemetery so that only a small remnant exists today. In 1823, the congregation sold an unused portion of the cemetery frontage on Chatham Square to the Tradesmen's Bank. Additional unused portions on Oliver and Madison Streets were sold in 1829. A section of the burial ground was taken by the city in 1855 when the new Bowery, today's St. James Place, was cut through. 256 burials were removed from the graveyard at that time and reinterred in the congregation's cemeteries on 21st Street and in Brooklyn. The cemetery contains several above-ground tombs and the 17th and 18th century headstones. 
It is surrounded by tall buildings and is tucked away behind an iron fence that is kept locked, allowing its permanent residents to rest in solitude. Each year, on the Sunday before Memorial Day, members of the Congregation Sheriff Israel gather to commemorate the revolutionary patriots buried there with prayers and American flags. The miracle, of course, was not that the oil for the sacred light in a little cruise lasted as long as they say, but that the courage of the Maccabees lasted to this day. Let that nourish my flickering spirit. Charles Reznikoff. If you are like me and not Jewish, your knowledge of Hanukkah and what it celebrates is probably limited. In recent years, we have seen it become more commercialized, just like Christmas. But what is it all about? In Jewish tradition, Hanukkah is not considered a high or religious holiday. This means that adults may still go to work and children to school. Other holidays with true religious significance require that you do not work so that you may focus on prayer and fasting. Hanukkah is ultimately the celebration of the victory of the Maccabee brothers over the Syrian Greek king in 165 BCE, allowing the Jews of Palestine to once again practice their religion. It is not considered a religious holiday since God did not have a direct hand in this victory. The stories of the Maccabee and their defeat of the Syrian Greeks is included in the books of Maccabee, which is part of the Apocrypha, a group of 14 Greek translated books that are not included in either the Jewish or Protestant Bibles. Neither the Jews nor the Protestants felt these books were worthy of inclusion. The Catholic Bible, however, does include 12 of the 14 books, including books 1 and 2 of the Maccabees, which is where the story of the defeat of the Syrian Greeks is recorded. Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days and nights because that's how long it took the Maccabees to rebuild the altar in their temple after winning it back. When the temple was captured by the Syrian Greeks, they had desecrated it by turning it into a pagan shrine and had sacrificed pigs upon its altar. This was in addition to prohibiting other Jewish practices such as circumcision, temple ritual, Sabbath observance, and the study of Torah, which is the Jewish Bible. Once the Maccabees had won back their freedom and their temple, the temple had to be cleaned and purged of all the Syrian Greeks had done to it. According to Jewish tradition, when the Syrian Greeks were in control of the temple, they had desecrated or destroyed all the jugs of oil that the high priest had prepared for lighting the temple menorah, candelabrum. After much searching, only one small undefiled jug, still bearing the unbroken seal of the high priest, could be found. Really, there was only enough oil to burn for one day. Nevertheless, the high priest kindled the menorah and a miracle happened. The oil continued to burn for eight days. These eight days gave the high priest enough time to prepare more oil so that the temple lights could remain burning as dictated by Jewish law. To commemorate the event, it was decided that a holiday would be observed annually by burning lights for eight days. And thus, Hanukkah, also known as the Festival of Lights, was born. There is, of course, much more to the celebration of Hanukkah, but we will save that for another time. Ultimately, Hanukkah is a celebration which pays homage to one of the greatest victories in Jewish history, allowing the Jews of Palestine to win back their freedom to worship God and live their lives as their laws dictated and not those of the Syrian Greeks. Now fast forward several centuries to 1654, when a group of 23 Jews, refugees from a Portuguese takeover in 
Brazil, arrived and are granted permission to settle in New Amsterdam, which is now called New York. By 1664, the Jews of New York obtained the right of freedom of worship from the first English governor. In 1705, the New York Jewish community contributed to the building of the steeple for Trinity Church. In 1730, the first synagogue in North America was constructed by Congregation Shariath Israel in New York City. In 1775, Francis Salvador is elected as a delegate to the South Carolina Provincial Congresses of 1775 and 1776. He is also the first Jew to hold an elective office in America. In 1776, he was the first Jew to die in the American Revolutionary War. The Jews who settled in the British colonies in America came for much the same reasons as did their Gentile neighbors. Added to the promise of economic opportunity was the lure of religious and social freedom, conditions that were virtually non-existent for them in most of Europe. They relied upon an extensive network of family and friends for mutual aid and economic advancement, and did not hesitate to call on each other for assistance when necessary. Jews secured the right to practice their faith in many places under British dominion in the colonial period, but varying degrees of religious toleration kept the numbers of Jews small in most areas. Among the Jewish community of North America, there were those who remained loyal to the British during the time of the American Revolution, but there were many more who supported the Patriot cause. A large part of this was due to a man named Gershom Mendes Satius, was the leader of the Congregation Sheriff Israel beginning in 1768. Perhaps nothing better accounts for Satius's esteem in the general New York community than his actions during the American Revolution, despite the fact that his congregation was split on the issue. In 1775, Satius, a strong advocate for American independence, persuaded a majority that Sheriff Israel would close rather than operate during a British occupation of New York. Satius packed the congregation's books and sacred scrolls and removed them with his family to his father-in-law's house in Stratford, Connecticut. Despite his personal appearance of war in his sermons, Satius regularly called for God to bless the revolution, the Congress, and George Washington, the commander-in-chief of the Patriot Armies. He considered the American cause with his emphasis on individual liberty as a just war and independence a blessing for America's Jews. He is buried in the Chatham Square Jewish Cemetery. Another Revolutionary War hero buried in Chatham Square Jewish Cemetery is Jonas Phillips. Phillips was born in 1736 in Germany. He traveled to the American colonies in 1756 to be the indentured servant of another Jew named Moses Lindo in South Carolina. After the terms of his service had been met, Phillips moved to New York, where he married and began a large family. In 1776, he was among the Jews who fled New York when it became occupied by the British. In 1778, while living in Philadelphia, he joined the Philadelphia militia under the command of Colonel William Bradford. When the Constitutional Convention met in Philadelphia of 1787, Phillips wrote to George Washington, complaining that in Pennsylvania, professing Jews were unable to serve in the state legislature because they wouldn't acknowledge the New Testament to have been written by divine inspiration. The Jews, Phillips wrote to Washington, have been true and faithful Whigs, and during the late contest with England, they have been foremost in aiding and assisting the states with their lives and fortunes. They have supported the cause, have bravely fought and bled for liberty, which they cannot enjoy. 
Because of this, the convention produced a constitution that banned all religious tests for national office. Jonas Phillips died on January 29, 1803. While both Gershom Mendes and Jonas Phillips are buried in the Chatham Square Jewish Cemetery, there are some other Jewish men not buried there who were just as important to the American Revolution, and we feel they should not go unmentioned. We will begin with Chaim Solomon. Solomon was born in Poland, but immigrated to North America colonies as a young man. He was a supporter of the Patriot cause from the first. At the beginning of the Revolutionary War, Solomon was living in New York and was working as a financial broker. In 1776, he was arrested by the British and charged as a spy. Shortly after his arrest, he managed to procure a pardon and was used by the British as an interpreter for the German allies of the British. However, Solomon instead convinced many Germans to desert. He was again arrested in 1778 and this time sentenced to death, but managed to escape to Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, he befriended many members of the Continental Congress. As a financial broker, he loaned large amounts of money to the Congress and its individual members, including James Madison, often at 0% interest in order to fund the campaign against the British. Possibly as a result of his purchases of government debt, Solomon died penniless in 1785. His descendants in the 19th century attempted to obtain compensation from Congress, but were unsuccessful. The extent of Solomon's claim on the government cannot be determined because the documentation disappeared long ago. Another who contributed greatly to the American cause was Mordecai Sheftal, who was born in 1735 in Savannah, Georgia. Sheftal was just 16 years old when he was made Assistant Deputy Commissary General of Issues to the Georgia Troops in 1777. In December of 1778, he and his father were captured and imprisoned by the British on one of their prison ships. During this time, Sheftal kept a detailed journal describing his treatment on board the ship. This journal was later published under the title, Capture of Mordecai Sheftal, Deputy Commissary General of Issues. Sheftal also made large financial contributions to the Patriot cause. After the revolution, Sheftal was one of the foremost reorganizers of the Savannah congregation, and he was largely instrumental in securing the first enclosed Jewish burial ground in that city. Reuben Edding of Baltimore, aged 19, enlisted the moment he heard about the Battle of Lexington and headed north to Massachusetts. He was taken prisoner by the British, who, when they discovered he was Jewish, gave him only pork, which he refused to eat. He was able to survive on scraps of permitted food from fellow prisoners. Weakened by such treatment, he died shortly after his release. A cousin bearing the same name, born in 1762, also fought in the war and was appointed as a United States Marshal in 1801 by President Thomas Jefferson. It is believed that more than 100 Jews fought in battles of the American Revolution. Some paid the price of freedom by losing their lives, while others went on to build up their communities once the war was over and a new nation was born. Just as the Maccabees fought for the right to live and worship freely as Jews, so too did many who came to American shores centuries later. According to one Congregation Shariath Israel account, it was decided that it were better that the congregation should die in the cause of liberty than to live and submit to the impositions of an arrogant government. 
we thought it would be fitting to share two poems written by Emma Lazarus. Emma was a great niece of Gershom Mendes Sayas. She was an American-born Jew who loved her country and her religion and understood the sacrifices of her ancestors to allow her to become a successful poet. The first poem is titled, The New Colossus, and it is printed on a plaque at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. The second poem is called The Feast of Lights and is an ode to Hanukkah. It is a rather long poem, so I will only be sharing two portions of it. Kindle the taper like the steadfast star ablaze on evening's forehead o'er the earth and add each night a luster till afar an eightfold splendor shine above thy hearth. Clash Israel the cymbals, touch the lyre, blow the brass trumpet and the harsh-tongued horn, chant psalms of victory till the heart takes fire, the Maccabean spirit leap newborn. Still ours the dance, the feast, the glorious psalm, the mystic lights of emblem, and the world. Where is our Judas? Where our five-branched palm? Where are the lion warriors of the Lord? Clash, Israel, the cymbals, touch the lyre, sound the brass trumpet and the harsh-tongued horn, chant hymns of victory till the heart take fire, the Maccabean spirit leap newborn. The renowned 20th century Talmudist rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik once wrote that for Jews, bygones turn into facts, pale memories into living experiences, and archaeological history into a vibrant reality. For the Jewish American community, their desire is to be free to live as their laws and religions dictate, while always kindle the flame to celebrate their freedom. Happy Hanukkah! We sincerely hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. If you are Jewish, we truly hope that you will have a wonderful Hanukkah celebration this year. If you are not Jewish, we hope you have enjoyed learning something new, just as Jenny and I have. And I know we say this every week, but we would be very grateful if you would leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at www.ordinaryextraordinarycemetery.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery. That's all one word, no punctuation. Or on Twitter at Ord Extra Sim. So that's O-R-D-E-X-T-R-A-C-E-M. We love to hear from you. And also before we go... We are doing a little giveaway. We thought it would be a lot of fun to give away some things that are related to cemeteries. Um, And so I'm going to tell you what the items are first and then how you can enter to be part of that giveaway. So we have to give away, and this is all going to be one 
big grouping. Um, first, we have a book called Stories in Stone. It's a field guide to cemetery symbolism and iconography. Uh, both Diane and I have copies of this book. We use it regularly. It's a great resource if you're wanting to know um, what the symbolism is behind a lot of the different older headstones and monuments that you find in old cemeteries. Um, and it also talks about some other religious traditions and things like that. So it's a, it's a great resource. Like I said, both of us use it quite often. Uh, so you will be getting a copy of that book. And because you're getting a book, you will also be getting a bookmark. Um, the bookmark comes from The Bookish Den, which is a shop on Etsy. Um, it is a wooden bookmark. It has um, a cemetery carved into it. And on the back, it has been engraved with the words Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery. And it's lovely. There will be pictures posted on Facebook and Instagram, the website and everything. So you'll be able to get a look at it. But it's a beautifully carved walnut. I think it was walnut stained um, bookmark and it's gorgeous. Um, so you will be getting that in addition to the book. And then from a little shop in Salem, Massachusetts, one of my favorite shops when I'm there visiting, um, it's called Emporium 32. It's, it's just a fun little shop. They have a lot of vintage items. Um, and then they have items obviously related to cemeteries. So you will be getting a little notepad. Um, at the top of the pad is um, a headstone symbol with the hand pointing down. It's actually holding a rose. Um, and that symbol often represents like the hand of God um, coming down from heaven um, since it's pointing down in that case. So that's at the top of that notepad. And the other thing is a pin, like a hat pin or a hat tack, um, a momenti mori pin um, that is actually the top decoration of an actual headstone. This one happens to be the headstone of William Field, who lived from 1740 to 1772. And the headstone is located in St. John's Cemetery in Providence, Rhode Island. And so the tack or the pin is the top of that headstone and it features the hourglass with wings is what's at the top. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, they're all super cool. I wish I were keeping them for myself, but we're giving them away. <laughs> so they are going to our listeners. If these are items you were interested in having, um, the way to participate in the giveaway is to um, either go to Facebook where you can find our page at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, like and share the page. If you go to Instagram, there will be a post with all the pictures of the items we're giving away. Comment on that post. And then on Twitter, if you retweet our tweet about the giveaway, um, I'll be able to see that and we'll be able to do that. You may do all three if you'd like. So that gives you three opportunities. But if you only do one of those, um, that's fine too. So it's totally whatever you want to do. But we are excited to be able to give these away. And it can be worldwide. Um, we are just excited to be able to do this giveaway. And one other thing before we end our podcast, I wanted to give out two little shout outs to resources that we used when we were researching this podcast. As always, if you go to our website and you go to each individual episode, you can find all the resources that were used for every episode. Um, but these two for this one, not being Jewish, I had to do a little bit of research into the Jewish history and the history of um, Hanukkah. And so one of the things that I used that I found really helpful was a book called The Jewish Book of Why, written by Alfred Kolach. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. It was a fascinating book, and I actually intend to spend more time reading it, but he goes through like just the whys of certain traditions and why they do things without getting into a lot of other stuff. So it makes it very easy for somebody who's not Jewish to understand some of their traditions. Um, and then the second shout out 
is to Jason Harris, who is the host of the Jew Ought to Know podcast, which I listened to his episode that he did last year on Hanukkah specifically, but I also listened to um, parts of some of his other episodes, and it's fascinating. So if you want to know more about Jewish history in particular, that's an excellent podcast um, to, to listen to. Again, that's the Jew Ought to Know podcast, and I believe you can find that podcast anywhere you can download your podcast. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of them, just like ourselves. So with that, I just want to say thank you once again for joining us. We look forward to having you back with us next week. Thank you. Until we meet again. Mm